everybody. Um, I'm glad we got the memo about sitting on one side. I was nervous that we would spread out a little bit. <laughs> that would be... Uh, I'm just playing. Um, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good? Good. Um, we're going to continue Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. We're going to go through 30 today. Um, so again, if you don't have a Bible, we have them available here at the end of the aisle. Um, I'm excited to talk today. Um, we got, uh, we've got a passage where Jesus finds himself in a unique place. Um, but presence, uh, it means something. So my brother came into town. Um, my brother came into town the other day, yesterday, which was great. It was unexpected. Um, so he comes into town and we... Uh, um, we were hanging, at, my brother and I have this relationship where we are, we just don't, he's busy, I'm busy, so we just don't get to see each other a whole lot. Um, but when we do, we just like to chill. Um, we were, I was talking to someone the other day, I, I don't remember a time arguing with my brother. We just hang, um, which is great. Uh, and so we really literally did nothing. He came here and ate Dunkin' Donuts, and then we went to River Wards, and then we went to the house where he fell asleep watching football, and then we did trunk or treat, and then he went home, and it was awesome. Um, and it was awesome, not really because of what we discussed, more the fact that he was just like present, you know, he was just there. Uh, and I think that's like a universal truth for us, that like presence means something. Uh, and so we learned it over the pandemic that FaceTime is not a substitute for presence. There's something about just being with somebody, right? And so. Um, we, we just hung. And as we look at like, the story of Christ and as he, as he goes throughout his journey, one of the things that we've noticed, at least I have hope that we've noticed, is that like, where he is is almost just as important as what he's saying and what he's doing. Like, as he goes through this story, he's in specific places and they serve specific purposes. Um, and so today we find him in a place that you would just never expect him to be. As the Jewish Messiah that he is, you would never expect him to be here. So let me um, let's read our passage for today. We're going to see ultimately um, that because of even just because of where he is, we see that the gospel and his message and his mission is something that is meant for everyone. Um, let's read. So Mark 7, starting in verse 24 says, and from, from there he arose and he went away to a region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house that did not, did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphician by birth, and she begged him cast out the demon, to cast out the demon for her, um, of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in the bed, and the demon was gone. Let's pray. Um, Father, this morning, we, um, Lord, we just recognize that we need you uh, desperately. And we're grateful that you're a God that is not far off, Lord, that you have come near, you've drawn near to us. And when we think about presence, Lord, that um, the ultimate display of your presence was in Jesus Christ, that you took on flesh and you walked among us. 
um, Lord, that you're with us. And so, Lord, we, um, today, we celebrate that. We rejoice in that, um, that you are good and faithful, and Lord, ultimately, that you made a way so that we could know you and be with you. Um, Father, I, I pray over your word today. Um, Lord, would you proclaim your truth? Would your spirit move? Um, Lord, would you communicate to us your heart towards this woman and then towards us? Lord, would you shape us with your word this morning? Your name, amen. All right, so we got, um, we got some work to do for, we need to catch up because Mark, in the way that he's telling this story, um, it's really important that we understand fully what happened last week. So, um, what happened last week? We'll start with a map because, did you bring up a map last week, Brian? No. Oh, that's unfortunate. Opportunity. Um, there's, this is, this is the map that we've looked at quite a bit. And Jesus has spent the majority of time around the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to begin to see him move, move south to Jerusalem and Judea eventually. But he's in Galilee. Um, and the reason that's important is because what happened was that there were scribes that came all the way from Jerusalem to meet and to challenge Jesus and his teaching. Not just his teaching, they challenged his disciples, like, specifically. They said, why do your disciples not maintain, like, why don't they keep the cleansing rituals of the Jewish tradition? And the ultimate, like, like, the ultimate question was, if you're the Jewish Messiah, how can your followers not even follow the Jewish traditions? That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and he has this response to them. In Mark 7, 6, he says, the peop These people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the, to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. You have this moment where you're just like, Well, tell us how you really feel, you know, Jesus. Uh, there's, he, is, he is clear about what he sees in the hearts of these Pharisees. Um, and the irony in this scene is that Jesus is, he's defending his disciples, he's exposing the Pharisees, he's communicating to the crowd, and all along, like afterwards, his disciples pull him aside, and they're like, man, that was great. But like, what does it mean? You know? <laughs> and you're just, and Jesus is like, are you serious? <laughs> like, you just still aren't, like, you're, you're not getting it. And so he goes a little bit further, and he begins to explain and he says this true cleanliness, like they're talking about physical things. He says true cleanliness, it's not about external things. Like true cleanliness comes from within. And one of the ways to say it would be like true cleanliness is not about what you consume, but it's about what consumes you, right? So he's like, man, there is this, there, and he goes through a list where he talks about wickedness, coveting, adultery, murder, theft, sexual immorality, evil thoughts, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. It's not meant to be like this exhaustive list, but what he's, meant, he's trying to do is just kind of expose these things that come from within us. He's like, you can consume some things, but when you display these things, what you're revealing is actually what's consumed your heart. And so your heart is put on display. And so we hold that interaction. Like that is, that's our context for this passage. And it's going to be so important because the next place that Jesus goes from here, talking about cleanliness, is he goes to a place that is notoriously unclean. That's the next story that's told. And they're meant to be held kind of like one up against the other. So let's see where Jesus goes. The, what we're going to see today, the very first thing that we'll see is that Jesus came to cleanse all people. 
That's what he comes to do. So in our previous passage, he cleanses, he talks about cleansing, he talks about actually food being clean, and in our passage today, we're going to see that he came to cleanse all people. So our first verse says, and from there he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So, um, so he goes to Tyre. Now, Hunter's going to talk a little bit about this. Hunter's preaching next week, which is exciting. Um, but he's going to talk a little bit about this. Um, we said, what we said was presence matters, but the place that he's going matters. So everywhere that Jesus has been, um, everywhere that Jesus has been has fallen into uh, traditional uh, boundaries of Israel up until this point. So you think about... Um, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Nazareth, Bethsaida, Sea of Galilee, Gennesaret, like all of these places are within traditional Israel boundaries, which means that they are predominantly Jewish areas. Um, and I don't know about you when you read like the scriptures, but it's really hard to like put yourself into that context because we read ourselves into these passages all the time. And I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, actually, I think it's a good thing. It's what it's intended to happen. But we're meant to do it through a lens of like what was actually happening. And what you see is that Jesus is going into these areas and he's reaching these Jewish people. So he goes, he leaves these ancient Israel borders and he goes to a place that is completely different. Um, It's a predominantly Gentile area. We'll talk about that word in a little while. But it's a predominantly Gentile area. So this is where Jesus goes to rest. He goes to Tyre, which was 20 miles northwest of Capernaum. So I think I have a map next. Um, There you go. So um, there is Sea Galilee, and Tyre is like way up there on the left-hand side, and Sidon is even a little bit further above that. And so Jesus is making his way. You've seen him go down to Nazareth. You've seen him go all the way down to from Jerusalem and back up, but now he's making his way down up to Tyre and up to Sidon. And so Tyre is important because it holds, it's not only about like the, the fact that it's a place that's predominantly a Gentile location, um, but it has notoriously been the enemy of the people of Israel. Um, so this is the place that Jezebel comes from. When you talk about the northern and the southern Israel, this is a place that she comes and completely divides Israel. And there's this like conflict that always comes from this one location. To the point where, um, to the point where New Testament scholar James Edwards, he says, Tyre probably represented the most extreme expansion of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jewish could expect to encounter. So Jesus goes to a foreign land um, to see not just like a foreign land, but a foreign people, and he goes there for rest. Um, And I was like, so of course I'm watching the Phillies game last night. You ever watch the game and you see like, especially around like playoff time, you see people that are sprinkled throughout that just don't have Phillies jerseys, you know? You like Padres jerseys and you're always just like, dude, initially you're like, what are you doing here? And the other parties you just like respect. You know, you're like courage, you know, (laughs) and there's like this is the scene that we get where like Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. One of the things that was so um, confusing for the Jewish people was not just like who he claimed to be. It wasn't just the acts that he was performing, but it was the places and the people that he was with. Like it makes no sense that he's here and yet he's there and he's working. And so we see Jesus functioning in a place that is notoriously 
the way that Jewish historian from the first century, Josephus, described it, he says it's notoriously their, their bitterest enemy. Um, let's continue. Let's continue reading. It says, all right, so verse 25 says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, and she begged him to cast out, a, cast out the demon out of her daughter. Um, so the woman comes to Jesus and she's pleading. The way that Matthew describes it in Matthew 15 was that he, she just kept asking. <laughs> Um, she, she kept asking, even in, um, I think it's the New King, New King James Version, is, they use the same description here, is that she just kept pleading. And so you get, this, you get this, Jesus is trying to be discreet, his disciples are there with him, and this woman is behind them and around them, just continuing to plead, my daughter is not well. To the point where as she's begging, what you see in Matthew's gospel is that the disciples then begin to beg Jesus to, to, sell her, like, to send her away. So it's this continue exposing, like they're not understanding what the purpose, like why are we here and why is this woman here? Can we please get rid of her? And she's continuing to beg. And as like she falls at the feet of Jesus, we're meant to be reminded of another scene. Like if you remember back just a couple chapters, this like same scene happened again, like previously, where Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus and he's asking for, for his daughter to be healed. Um, and there's a couple of things that's different, though. Um, the first thing that's different is who Jairus was. So Jairus is, um, he was a ruler in the synagogue. So he's a male leader in the synagogue. He was an Israelite. Um, he was Jewish by birth. And now you have this woman who is the exact opposite of that, coming and pleading with Jesus. Um, and then... You see that she's also described in a couple different ways, but the first way that she's described is that she's a Gentile. Now, that can mean a couple different things. Sometimes the word Gentile is used just to describe anyone that's not Jewish. Um, and so we would be described as Gentiles. But uh, the actual word, more, like more specifically, would mean like Greek. Um, which this is where I love this. I don't know if you're, if you just like, let, like indulge me for a second. I love when just like biblical history and world history overlap. So the reason that this, this lady would have been called a Gentile and they would have described her that way is because about 300 years prior, Alexander the Great, um, the Macedonians went and conquered Tyre. And it was like one of his big victories. And the victory is like crazy, you can read about it, but either way, Tyre was kind of like an island, and he, like, he actually gets to the point where he builds a bridge to go out and conquer this city. Um, because that's just like what he did, it was less about winning the battle and more about his ego. So he like does that, but one of the things that happens then is that he brings like Hellenistic culture with him, right? So everywhere that he conquers, he brings Greek culture, Greek food, Greek speaking people, Greek language, like Greek gods, Greek artists, like he just brings that everywhere. And that was part of his mission was to spread Hellenistic Greek culture to the entire world. So now you have this lady where they go into this place and Jesus meets her and they describe her as she's a Greek. That doesn't mean that she's necessarily from Greece, but it means that she probably spoke Greek because of what happened beforehand. She's a Greek, she's Seraphonician, so she's, it's a Syrian area in Phoenicia. So she's just kind of like this, like, to be quite honest, she's a little bit of everything. Like she really doesn't have a place in here. 
but she represents what Tyre would have been, which is this outcast pagan. And at the, even within that culture, she's at the bottom of that culture, right? And so she is, if you were to hold up like Jairus and his daughter, and you were to hold up this lady, they, are, they shouldn't even be in the same room, right? I mean, even if you think about Jairus and the way that Jesus interacted with her at the end, there's this, there's this like, there's this wailing and this big like um, funeral that's taking place. And the reason that it's taking place is because Jairus is wealthy, right? So he's got all of these people that come to mourn for his daughter. This lady has no one. She's got no one. All she has is this opportunity with Jesus. And so this is who she is. And that she goes to him and she, she just begins to plead. Um, and the disciples are pushing her away and Jesus is just kind of like hearing her out, but he's not responding. Um, she's a pagan Greek-speaking woman in a land that represents everything that Israel is not, and Jesus is here. Why is he here? So, verse 27 says, and he, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Um, I don't know about you, but that is not what I was expecting. <laughs> uh, there's this, like, uh, I mean, again, if you go back to, like, Jairus' story, you're like, okay, so Jesus gets up, and he begins to walk. Along the way, he heals a woman that's bleeding, and then when he gets there, he raises a girl from the dead, and it's incredible. And you're like, that's the classic Jesus, you know? Um, this is not. Uh, Jesus gives this, to be quite honest, um, harsh, like, harsh response is what it feels like. Um, and it doesn't even make sense within the context because the disciples, like the disciples just had this conversation with Jesus about, it's not about what's external that actually like cleanses somebody, you know? Like it's not about your external things. Even, you could even say like your status, your socioeconomic status, your, your, even your religion. And like these things are like, that's not what makes you someone. It's like the internal things. That's what matters. And yet Jesus gives this really harsh response. Um, this passage is debated a lot um, among scholars. So if you pick up a bunch of commentaries, you'll probably get a lot of different responses. Uh, one of the ones, one of the common threads is that this word dog, the way that Jesus uses it, is one that is used not about like a dog that would have been like a scavenger, but like a dog that would have been like a house pet. And I think while that is probably true and helpful, um, it doesn't truly, like, satisfy my, <laughs> I'm like, but he still calls her a dog, you know, and it's still kind of like, and he's still kind of holding her at a distance, and you can feel the tension, and so you're just like, man, I think, I know that it was intended, like, I know that Jesus meant for her to feel that, he doesn't say these things um, flippantly, he means for them, us to feel everything that he's communicating, and so why does he say this, um, and the reason that I think that we have, we have a problem with this is because oftentimes we try to solve, like, we, we look at it just because it's a text. We can look at it first as just a literary problem. And we'll try to come up with a literary solution. But I think the problem is that Jesus is making a theological statement. Like he's saying something here that she's meant to receive. And to be honest, I think that she already understood. Um, and it's something that ultimately draws something out in her that is absolutely beautiful. But what he's saying in this moment, um, I'll, st I'll say it like this. Um, Jesus' statement, Jesus is not making a statement about this woman's value. He's making a statement about this woman's position. Like he's, he's letting her feel where she is. 
Um, so I know that like um, I don't know what I don't know what you know all of our backgrounds are as far as like church his, like church and our interaction with church. Um, but if you grew up in church, you're always presented with this: um, Jesus came to seek and to save uh, the lost, which is absolutely true. Um, that the gospel is for all people, which is the point that we're making today. Um, but if you if you're not if you don't look at the whole of Scripture, you could miss how. Like, how did this get accomplished? What did God do from the beginning of time? And I think that's what we see Jesus drawing out here, that he is pointing her and revealing something in her in this moment that truly was meant to be from the beginning of time. Like God was always, the riches of the kingdom of Jesus were always going to extend to the end of the earth. That's how it was always going to be. But the misunderstanding at that time was not only that, like, was Jesus the Messiah, but, like, what was the Messiah going to do? Um, and that's part of the reason that they didn't understand him. But if you look all the way back, like, this is what's beautiful. Like, if you look even back to the promises that are made by God in the Old Testament, and you look at the way that Jesus lived in the, in the Gospels, they line up perfectly. But I think it's hard to see for the Jewish people. And so even as they look at like their most coveted covenant, you can say that, coveted covenant, um, was that of the covenant of Abraham. Like there was a time when like God pulls Abraham aside, which is like their father. Like they claim more than anything, we are children of Abraham. That is what makes us who we are. We are God's people. That's who we are. And they, why, why can they say that? Because God made a promise and God does not break his promises. God makes this promise to the people. And what does he say? He says, you're going to be my people. And you are going to, you are going to like outnumber the stars. You're going to be made into nations. Like, this is a promise. You're going to be my people. I will be your God. I'm going to be in the, your presence. And this is like, this is who, what makes us who we are. But even if you look at that statement in Genesis 22, listen to what it says. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess all the gates of its enemies. And you're like, okay, sure. That's about like God's people. But then it says, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Even in the promise, like even in the original promise, there's this seed of hope for the entire world. Like there's this I was always going to bless the entire world through my people. That's how it was meant to be. But the people of Israel have drifted completely away from that idea and have found themselves at the point where they're looking for someone that would elevate just them. And so now they have no idea and they can't even identify their own Messiah. But we see it in all of the covenants. We see it with Noah, where God says, not just with the earth, that he's, going to, he's not going to flood just your portion, but he's going to protect the whole earth. You see it with David and Moses. You see it with even the new covenant, that God is seeking to save all people, the lost. You see this glimmer of hope that extends well beyond the kingdom of Israel. Um, and the Jewish leaders in this moment weren't able to see it. And ultimately, I think this is what we see even in Jesus' message, even in, our, even in our, like, the final instruction, which is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the beautiful picture that we have at the very end of the Bible is in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. It says, And this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Um, It's a beautiful picture. Like, this is how it was always meant to be. And at this time, that is an absolutely radical idea. Um, I mean, if you think about the early church, the early church that they would be made up of people of all different, um, different nations, people of different races, people of different languages, people of different, honestly, religious beliefs at the time, like that there would be all of these coming together under the umbrella of Christ was something that had never happened before, truly had never happened. And so Jesus is introducing this as he walks into this place and he allows this woman to feel that distance, that that is where, that is what's happening. Jesus as the Messiah is making a way, surely for her, but first for the Jewish people and then to the ends of the earth. Um, So he comes. He comes to cleanse all people. And I know that that can be, um, like initially it can be alarming, um, but I think for us it's helpful to understand that like Um, if this is the way that Jesus moved forward in his ministry, that this is the way that we should move forward in ours, right? Like if Jesus had a bigger vision, I think um, we're still, like we still are so separated in our culture, you know? You look at the Jewish people and it's easy to criticize and to be like, well, surely they didn't understand that grace was for everybody, you know? Um, But even today, we We want to be around like-minded people that are similar to us. And as much as we talk about the fact that oftentimes that we don't, it happens, right? And so we have a hard time extending grace, extending resources, extending but to people that are just different than us. And so for Jesus to go to a place and to go to people that are just radically different than himself, it makes a statement about how we should live our own lives. Like it should change the way that we see other people. It's to change the way that we interact with the world around us. It's to change what we think that God could do in someone's heart in a single moment. But oftentimes, to be honest, we, we protect ourselves with excuses about how we're meant to live as believers with the people that are like us. Um, but we see Jesus going. He goes. Um, he goes to a foreign land and to a foreign people. Um, and we see that his good news ultimately extends to all people. But we got to, in order to understand the full interaction, we have to keep reading. So um, what we see next is that Jesus is belie- like belief in Jesus that will make us clean. And so in verse 28, it says, um, But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. Um, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. Um, So this right here where she says, yes, Lord, um, that is the only time that someone, other than Jesus, someone quoting back to himself Jesus' words, it's the only time that anyone refers to Jesus as Lord. And it's this lady. (laughs) Um, And in Matthew, uh, when... Uh, in Matthew, let me, I don't know that I actually have it. 
Oh my. But you've got to see this. Matthew chapter 15. Um, when, when she initially addresses Jesus, uh, she doesn't just uh, ask the question like we see here in Mark. Uh, she says, Oh, do, 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 do. Canaanite woman, blah, blah, blah. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So it's like, she calls him the son of David. Which, in order for her to call him the son of David, she needs to understand the significance that David is related to Lord. How does she understand that the King David was meant to have a Messiah and that he's the Messiah for the Jews? I don't, like to me, it just, it's helpful for us to realize, like why do we limit someone's understanding? Like she of all people should not get this. Like no, it feels like no one got this up until this point. And yet he goes to this obscure place and meets this obscure woman and she says, Lord, son of David. Like, how does she connect the lineage of David all the way to Jesus and his messianic rule? That's absurd to me. And then she calls him Lord. And so there is this like true understanding that she's displaying. And when she says, and this is, this is just helpful for us to realize, that when, when Jesus says, well, the children that is for the, food, uh, for the table is not meant to be fed, fed to the dogs. And she says, Lord, yes, but even the dog eats for, eat crumbs from the table. Um, I think oftentimes when we look at that, we can have a hard time. Like it can be a stumbling block for us. But when she looks at that, it's an open door. Like while we have a hard time with what Jesus said in this moment, she did not. Um, she saw an open door and she took it. And she leans into that open door and she says, yes, Lord. And what you see is this picture of the previous passage where the children, there is a feast being laid out for the children of God and they're rejecting it. In the meantime, there are these people that are outliers that are begging for the crumbs. Um, and she's one of them. Like even though these people are not understanding, it doesn't mean that the mission's not moving forward that the mission is moving forward and that God is shaping and changing this woman's heart right before our eyes. In, in Matthew, his response, um, well, Mark, says, for this statement, you may go your way. And in Matthew, Jesus answered her and he says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And your daughter was healed, her daughter was healed interest, uh, in, instantly. Um, yeah, there is, there's very few times that Jesus has a response like that to a faith of an individual. Um, and I think Jesus' intention here uh, was to allow her to feel the distance, to feel the distance between her and Christ. And not that he wasn't going to cover that distance, but the whole point was that she could feel it. So that she could come to him and that she could acknowledge before him that he is Lord and that, that she would then feel how desperately she, that she needs that to be true because her daughter is not well. Um, and Jesus marvels at this faith. And I think in my own life, um, I don't know about you guys, we were just talking about how is your belief this week? It's a question that we just had a discussion about. And um, I think in my... In my own life, there's, um, 
I have a hard time when I feel like there's a distance, you know, between me and the Lord or when I feel like I'm not understanding or I feel like I'm at a point where my faith is weaker than it has been. Um, and oftentimes I interpret that as an issue within myself. So sometimes what you see in Scripture is that um, the Lord's always there and He's always making a way for us. Um, and sometimes that is us creating this space, but sometimes the Lord is just reminding us how much we actually need Him, like we desperately need Him. Um, and in this passage, you see that this woman is someone that um, really had no other option. Um, and while she is rejected by everyone else, including Jesus' closest followers and the disciples, she's completely accepted by Jesus. Um, and even a moment of resistance from Jesus, ultimately trying to lead her to true repentance and true, um, true belief was something that shaped her, and she allowed it to. Um, and so I think for us, as we, as we read the scriptures and we go through you know, the book of Mark, I think my, our challenge as we go through this is that we would not allow just the moments where we feel lack of understanding or a moment that we feel any kind of distance to keep us from actually leaning into the belief that he's called us to. Um, and I think that's been a challenge for us all along, is that we can assume belief um, from an early age, or honestly, we can assume belief at any point in our lives, and it becomes to be a hindrance for us when ultimately it's okay to feel that. It's okay to feel that you're growing into that and that God's calling you into greater belief. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to... Um, I want to pray this morning, uh, give us a little bit of time just to think about um, what the Lord's called us into. Um, we, the call ultimately is that there is no one, there is absolutely no one that is beyond, like truly beyond the reach of God and his grace. Um, you see that in Christ's mission, you see that in the places that he goes, the people that he interacts with. Um, but ultimately, that, there is, that, that should change the way that we interact with the world and that should change the way that we personally see um, this grace that we're offered through Jesus. Um, yeah, let me pray for us this morning and we'll continue in worship. Father, we, um, and I'm thankful for these people. Um, I'm thankful for, um, thankful for your church. Lord, grateful just to be here to open your word, to worship and song, Lord, to be amongst the fellow believers, um, to rejoice that your grace that is given to us through Jesus is something that is available to all people. Um, Lord, that you're restoring the world. Um, Lord, I pray that you would embolden us, Lord, as we are sent out, that we would speak confidently, not from a place of um, burden, but from a, a place of true conviction and belief that you are the only way, um, Lord, that a world that is oftentimes separate and is seeking an answer um, can find their answer in you, um, Lord, that you restore us, and as a result of that, you restore us to one another, Lord, and you shape us into your image, and we're just so thankful for that this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that if there is a distance that's being felt, that we would lean into that. Lord, we're grateful for the example of the Seraphitian woman and the way that she leans into this moment, Lord, and that it grows her belief in you. So, Lord, would you do that? Would you grow our faith and our belief in you this morning? 
Would you grow our understanding of your purpose and who you are and what you came to do? But Lord, ultimately, would you grow who we are in you? Lord, would you shape us? Um, Father, we love you. Grateful just to be yours. In your name, amen.